You're tuned in to the Bruh's Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another Bros Book Sale Podcast episode. This week, we're going to be wrapping up You Are Your Best Thing by Tarana Burt and Brene Brown. I'm your host, Lennon Givens, joined with my lovely wife, Dr. Teresa Givens. And we have Dr. Harvey Hinton III. And Harvey, tell us about the special guest that you're bringing on. Man, special guest that I'm bringing on tonight is a young man that I have huge admiration for. Um, I met this young man at NCCU when he was uh, an undergraduate student. He was part of the Men Achievement Center. But most importantly, very articulate, very brilliant young man. I'm happy to have him on tonight. Uh, this young brother, is a he has a radio talk show. He's a fashion connoisseur. He's, he's a fashion critic. He can do a lot of things, man. And I got tonight on us with with us, uh, Mr. Dwayne, DJ Beans McBeans. So I'm happy to have him here. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You're a warm bros, bookshelf welcome. All right. Now I'm going to listen for a while. Tell them about your show, Dwayne. All right. So I had had past tense a show. Uh, which which shows me that he listened that one time. I sent him the link and never listened again. Um, <laughs> but you know, we had a great time once, on man. the show. We uh, we recorded the Fresh Movement and the host. He actually moved to Atlanta, so I'm wishing him nothing but love um, as he continues his journey in Atlanta. I'm venturing more into the news side, uh, television news, um, and so I'll be doing that for a while before I, you know, eventually branch off and and, and do my own thing. Uh, so right now I'm chilling, but you know it's an honor to be here with you guys. I've been listening for a while, so I'm excited to have this conversation uh, and and formally be a guest. So cool, cool. You said you've been listening for a while, yes. Dwayne. What is your discipline? Um, I got my degree in uh, journalism and media production. Man, I heard more than one show too, brother. Don't don't do me like that now. I heard more than you heard one, one okay. show, and heard, um, it, you did know. you only do one show? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, exactly. I, I, I actually, I did. I did the whole season, um, and you know, we we had you know celebrity interviews. We we were great. You know, it was it was a great dynamic. Uh, but like I said, you know, we were all like venturing into our own thing. We came together. We put together a fabulous show. It was on iHeartRadio. Like I said, the host Upton moved uh, to Atlanta, and so um, you know he's going to continue his journey. So you know, we just we all doing our thing, and and like before I pop out with my own podcast and things like that, I'm just gonna you know settle with work. You know, I'm trying to get my you know on air break. So uh, you know, it's a lot that I'm working on. So are you are you doing idea, journalism bro. now? In the meantime, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So right now, I actually work for Viacom CBS. I work for CBS News in New York. And uh, basically, I'm a broadcast associate. You know, we get live feed and I cut the news and I send it, you know, to its server. And, you know, whatever's going on in Texas, I may, hey, you know, Dwayne, can you cut this? I'll cut it, fix it up real quick, send it back out and, uh, you know, watch people do my job. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a blessing, though. 
you know what I'm saying, to graduate and have that opportunity. So I'm thankful. Okay. Well, let's just dive right into it. The first essay in part four is actually essay number 16 out of 20 essays. And this is by Laverne Cox, Hurt People Hurt People. The story begins about her great-grandfather finding a dead cow in the middle of the street and bringing it home for his family to eat, which got everybody in the family sick. Then he was arrested and and sold into sharecropping, where his children was born on a plantation in a system of peonage, which in turn was deeply traumatizing. And she describes her grandfather as a son of a bitch. He was abusive to his kids, oh, his wife. Son of a bitch. Right. He openly cheated on his wife. He was not an earner. And he passed that trauma down to her grandmother, which in turn passed it down to her mother. And she describes trauma as being in their DNA. Man, I seen a dude post on Facebook today. Today's women is not strong as their grandmamas because y'all are leaving man over anything. <laughs> How in the world this man went to prison, couldn't have no job, beat women, sleep around, and still be talked about. Because what Laverne Cox is saying is it won't his fault. And it's, it takes a... It, <laughs> it, it takes some real deep soul searching to come to that conclusion that this, this oppressive mean son of a bitch is a victim. And it takes Laverne Cox in this book to defend the black man. So shout out to Laverne Cox Negative. for defending the black man. <laughs> what you say to me is a negative <laughs> that's exactly what I said no shouts given from here that was the best essay in the book it was short it was to the point hurt people hurt people I know you've been trying to get to this essay for a minute you started last week trying to get to this one so you finally have it yay I actually agree with you on that point that it was short and, and to the point. So so I do like that. Uh, uh, to that point about the tumultuous relationship, you know, with grandparents and things like that. My, my late grandparents actually had a relationship where it was just like that. You know, my grandmother, you know, I, I used to hear stories about, you know, she shot him in the knee one time. Like, you know, that's just what it was. And I think that back in back in those days, you know, people had to stick together for survival, right? You know, we didn't have the, you know, the woman breaking off and finding a job for the kids and things like that. So a lot of that I identified with because my grand, you know, like I said, you know, I hear the stories about my grandparents and the cheating and the shooting in the knee. And, you know, uh, my grandpa used to uh, beat uh, my grandmother. And so, you know, back in those days, it, it just, it, 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 it was what it was. You know what I'm saying? You didn't have women leaving men because of that, right? So now we can look back on that and say, okay, but well, that was wrong. But, you know, it, it, I guess it was survival. And they didn't have really the option to leave. And all of this came about because of the great-grandfather's inability to make good, sound decisions for his family. And it started with a bad decision for him to decide to bring a already dead cow home for his family to eat and got everybody sick. 
it pretty much placed an omen on his family. I would argue that, you know, obviously it was a bad decision to bring this dead cow home to, to eat. But you got, you know, I, I'm so I think about, you know, I used to have a professor who used to say, take off your emotional hat and, and put on your, your thinking hat. Right. Because she used to just just go on about how slavery was like this economic powerhouse. <laughs> you know, we all looking at her like, huh? Uh, so. So, again, just taking off the the uh, uh, emotional hat. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, OK, well, maybe, listen, you know, he's a black man. He ain't got no money. He got to feed his family. Yes, it was a bad choice. But, you know, here's this dead cow. You know, uh, the, the science, I don't know if mad cow disease was a thing back then or, you know, obviously it wasn't the best choice. But I, I think when I first heard that, I, I kind of looked at it from a, a point of admiration or, or if not admiration, understanding like, OK, you know what? He has to feed his family. This is free food to him. You know, then obviously. Man, I know people who do that. They're resting. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they have the organic and, you know, the beyond meats and stuff that they got today. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They had to get, he had to get that dead cow and and feed his family. And so to us, we're looking like, okay, well, that was stupid. But to him, that could have been a blessing. You know what I'm saying? But if you think about it a little bit deeper than that, it goes into what was being said, which is not that he even felt that it was stolen. That's not the bad decision. The bad decision is that this was a dead cow and the cow had been dead, which means at some point he was giving his family rotten meat. Yeah, yeah, no, that that, that that factors in. Yeah, that factors into <laughs> so, it. Too. Mm-hmm. I don't really think we can spin this in a way the, that makes it remotely positive. I mean, because, because he either gave his family stolen meat or rotten meat. Either way, it was a bad decision. Yeah, that that's that's a great that's a great point. But I, I'm still looking at it from a survival aspect you know what i'm saying like even and it's so funny how that that kind of instinct for survival i mean obviously you know it's a little bit drastic to think we'll do that today but you know my mom will will buy potatoes and what you buying potatoes for oh just in case there's another recession you know what i mean (laughs) like i mean hot potatoes in the house you know and so this 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 thinking about survival and this thinking about this this need to have because potatoes is a good decision you know what? I, I don't know. I don't eat potatoes like that. I don't know. You know um, well, I don't you, eat you potatoes, don't have to worry you know? about <laughs> being sick um, right. for the most part. Right. But I think that when you start to look at it a little bit deeper past the stealing, past the it's just a bad decision. And I think it may just be an analogy for what was said, which is going down a slippery slope of bad decisions. And we all know that sometimes when things go bad, they continue to go bad. Uh And then we start talking about generational curses where we start with this. And I think that the essay talks about how things can go bad. The victim aspect of it, I wasn't digging a whole lot. Because I started to feel that a lot of times we're not taking the responsibility for our actions and how those actions play upon ourselves. But I imagine that you have to have a scapegoat sometimes to make yourself feel okay. I, you know, 
Laverne Cox opens up the, the narrative actually talking about coming home from surgery and needing to go out to the house, go out to the store. One of the things I would, I don't know, Dwayne, you remember this, but one of the things I used to ask young men, you know, what does it feel like to walk outside and be raped? You know, what does it feel like to walk outside protecting yourself from being raped? You know, most most men don't per se know that feeling. Like that's not the the man's consciousness, so to speak. Um, we talk about the violence in our community, and we know, you know, you got to toughen up, put some bass in your voice. We know that as a man. But Laverne Cox is talking about being physically disabled from having a surgery and now being scared. <laughs> and I don't dare want to say that's a poor decision that created her own problem because she had the surgery and therefore blah, 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 because that can go down another <laughs> weird way. But it's, it's still this idea that people are walking out of that door and they are aware of, of, of violence. They are aware of people who will not acknowledge them for who they are or who they want to be. And, and there's this threat of danger that I just think for men, cisgender men in particular, we, we don't think about. And to open up the narrative in that space was re- very appealing. And I, I didn't expect it from, to go from that to what happened with her grandfather, great grandfather. I just didn't, I didn't see that coming and it happened very quickly. And I was like, damn, like this is, this is deep because this passed down fear, this passed down, you know, shame, this passed down poor decision making, if you will, you know, it's deep. She was trying to create a feel, if you will, on her experience on being trans. And she wasn't talking about being hyper aware because she just had the surgery. She was saying that she lives in a constant state of being hyper aware because she's she's been kicked on the streets before. And then she goes into her family history to build it up about the black men in her family. And then she brings it back with the paragraph and she says violence is violence. Most of the people killing black trans women are black men. Then so she ties it back in to being trans. And she said, I'm not saying this to demonize black men and I want to participate in that. But it's the reality. Let's just talk about what's actually happened. The venom that I experienced from other black folks has often felt like, oh, it's a disgrace to the race. So now she's trying in trans and how cisgender black men judge her, saying things like uh, that my transness as a black person is a disgrace to the race. That's some white people shit. That is historic <laughs> trauma that's not figurative but the literal emasculation of black men in America, something that we still need to unpack and heal from. She's tying it all in. She talks about her trans. She talks about her family. And she talks about how the man in her family turned and became the monster that he became and passed that down through the genes. So now she's talking about emasculation. But then she separates her transness (laughs) from racism. By saying, but my transness is not a result of white supremacist oppression. Trans people has always existed. But I will say that that part made it weird, though, Lenny. That part you just described, like, it's not about 
white supremacy is coming from black people. It's coming from black men. But again, black men have been victimized and emasculated. So they are projecting that same pain back on her. It's, it's, the, but you know the what? Title, but I, hurt but, people hurt people. It, right. It, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, I, I think, you know, in her mind, she's saying this is a black male problem. And so because she doesn't identify as a black male problem, she's using that kind of like objectively to be like, OK, I know from my family, this is what happened. This is what what's passed down. And so she's, up, you know, comparing that to what she's experienced and what she's seen in other families which I think is, is, is profound, right? Because just, first of all, just, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, there's been 37 trans women that have been killed alone this year. So she, what I thought was interesting was that point that she makes about black men being uh, castrated and having the genitals cut off, right? And, and, and things like that. And so what, how I interpreted that was she was saying that, okay, in history, yes, black men did have this thing where they were, literally demasculated and for her to do that to herself, you know, go through the surgery and, and willingly cut her penis and testicles off. She was trying to make that comparison that now black people are looking at her like, Oh, you know, how could you do this as a, a black person when you know what we've been through? And, and that's what she meant by projection. At least that's how I interpret. That's what she meant by that's projection, that journalism, right? that, that communication and degree it, right there. Well, you clean that up, buddy. You did. Okay, you did a hello. great job. You did a great <laughs> job with that, buddy. Because I fumbled you know big time. <laughs> you know why? No, you know why? Because I I used to have these conversations. I right? saw that a little different. Oh, okay. I but before I really, really quickly, <laughs> I'm jumping around because I used to have that conversation with people. You know how how could you? engage in, in, in gay sex when you know you know we were raped and the, the the buck breaking and things like that and so people look at it like you know you know you're disservicing your ancestors because it was unwillingly done to them so that takes away from the validity of you doing it today as that's what she and that's how I picked up what she was trying to say you know like okay yes black men did have their penis and, and testicles cut off. I did that you today pay for in 2021 as a, as a, yeah, I paid for it. Right. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, the, the fake woke people are looking at it like, Oh, you know, you know, whatever just perception comes with it. But yeah, I, I think she was kind of connecting that point that people look at her like uh, a disgrace because she's done that to herself willingly. And it's not the same. It's not the same. Exactly. That's what I got out of that. She was saying being trans, is independent of my race. Being trans is independent of all this other stuff, but they yeah. can exist both in the same space. Back in the days, you say, hey, they emasculated men and castrated them and pickled their penis. Hey, I get that. But I was born a woman in a man's body. And that's something that is totally not related to what has happened to us in the past. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a, a great point. There's more to that. I think that for the purpose of the essay and where she was trying to go, that's the point that she honed in on. But we know there's more to it, right? There's uh, the biggest one, uh, sexual attraction, right? Sexual attraction is very deadly, specifically for trans women. You know, there was a young woman Explain. in Chicago. Uh, there was a trans woman this year. I forgot her name, bless her, in Chicago her boyfriend or partner or whatever killed her 
because he you know he was afraid people were going to find out and so now he's stupid because now you arrested and now everybody know your secret but anyway that's neither here nor there but <laughs> sex, you know, sex, sexual excitement is, is <laughs> Did he know that she was trans? Or he, did he, he no, find no. out later? No, he knew that she was trans. This was an Before they engage in before they engage. Activity. Before they engage, yes. Okay. He, he knew that she was trans. Okay. And whatever it was, he, he was afraid it was going to get out, ended up killing her. You know what I'm saying? Now your mugshot is out there. Your homies know, your mama and them know. For what? You know what I'm saying? And so, I guess so, it's that sexual fear. So that means the shy wasn't so bizarre in the last couple of seasons. I actually just started watching the shy. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm I'm trying to get into it. I'm still in in season one. I'm still in season one. So I don't know what the hell is going on. But listen, if they if they introduce a trans storyline, then I, look, I'm all for it. But think about the uh, think about um, what's that movie? Uh, the birth of a nation. That movie is is built on sexual fear, right? Because we right. have this idea of this black man that's going to rape this white woman, right? Right. And so what happened after that movie? We have this catalyst of lynchings and the KKK trying to be the vigilantes and, right? Because there's this 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 fear that this black man is going to rape my wife. So like I said, it, it, you know, there's a lot of tension that comes with sexuality, and so when you see a trans woman, now you mad because you think she pretty, you mad because you attracted to her. And now because you mad, you want to beat on her now, right? Because you need to beat up the feelings that you have in you. Shame. And so, you know, as far as, you know, sister. Harvey, this still your favorite essay? Yeah. I ain't got no beef with the essay. <laughs> it's, it's to the point. I got no beef whatsoever. Yeah. All right. No, that's real talk. This is one of the things that jumped out to me in the last, like, three paragraphs. She said, there's a lot of shame. Shaming mm-hmm. people for their skin color, their size, for the way they walk, classism, colorism, misogyny. It's all intersecting, and so it piles up. The work must be to understand that all these things are structural, and then we must begin to do the work to stop internalizing all of it. I didn't just solve my internalized transphobia five years ago, and now I'm good. It's something I still have to work through. It's something I work on every day. My internalized racism, classism are issues I have to confront in various ways at various times. I did not know that a trans person could suffer from transphobia. Absolutely. A trans. Did you pick up on that, Harvey? I did. That she was suffering and still is suffering from transphobia. So while you are trying to get the world to accept you, you hadn't even accepted yourself. Black people do it all the time. So that's the part. It's projection. It's projection. Projection. And I was gonna say, there's this. Trans people can be transphobic. Gay people can be homophobic. And, I, and I've struggled with that. And I, I actually had to seek help with that. You know what I'm saying? Because there were just so many spaces in my life where I had to tone down who I was and, and how I presented, right? Uh, you know, I'm Caribbean, I'm Jamaican as well. Uh, and so there were so many spaces that when I was around people that didn't code switch or, or, or you know, 
was doing whatever. It made me feel so uncomfortable. And, you know, and, and like Dr. Harvey said, you know, we was in the manhood achievement thing. And here's the thing. I had I had the autonomy to be myself and I, I did feel comfortable. But, you know, was I my, you know, completely myself? Right. No, I wasn't. And so I would see, you know, I would hang around my friends and, and you know, I remember this one time I had a my friend Ellis. Now, Ellis is like 6'2". He's like 250 pounds. Ellis could throw his ass. Ellis could twerk. And I would just get so <laughs> sick every time I saw Ellis twerking. Ellis could throw his ass. And it would just make me sick to my stomach. And I used to be like, why, why am I mad at him? Why am I why am I disgusted with him right now? You know what I'm saying? He could throw he, his ass. He could throw that ass. Are we talking about somebody your size? Uh, twerking. Throwing ass. Okay? And I was so uncomfortable. And and you know what? And I I'll bring it home. I'll bring it even more recent. Lil Nas X. I could not stand Lil Nas X when he first came out. And and I had to sit with that. And I had to and in his BET performance and where he he kissed the, the the man on stage. I had to sit with that and I had to say, why am I so uncomfortable with that? You know what I'm saying? And so back to uh Sister Laverne Cox, yes, trans people can be because it's projection and it, there's things that you have to work out in yourself, you know what I'm saying, to fully accept yourself and to fully accept other people. Wait, the, I, love, I love Lil Nas X now, but I have I to mean, kind of I actually it like Lil Nas X a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've always liked Lil Nas X for the reason that he's comfortable with himself. Exactly. Right? Exactly. However, my wife would tell you, my kids would tell you that I used to be homophobic because I thought that was normal. I thought it was normal to be a homophobic was a normal. cisgender homophobe until okay. I unlearned about being homophobic. Now, I'm accepting, but I still hadn't gotten to the point where I could see men kiss. But if he's going to kiss on the stage, I don't have to look at it. Well, it's not your business. Right. Right. It's not my business. It's not your business. Uh, just like people have to watch you heterosexually kiss, and you always yep. want to have a whole bunch of PDAs. So it's not your business. Exactly. And for this essay to be really short, boy, we are going. Teresa, Teresa. Yes. Sir. I would say this. I would say this to your point. This this was a very short essay, and comparing it to the one that comes after this. It's, we can talk about this essay. We've been talking about it for almost 30 minutes, and we can keep talking about it. The one that comes after this. Hey, guys, I've gotten fat. Why? Because I like to munch on unhealthy snacks. But all that is about to change, thanks to Power Bites. Power Bites offers a nutritious and healthy alternative to junk foods without all the unhealthy ingredients. Power Bites come in two flavors, almond peanut butter crunch and salt peanut butter crunch. Both of my favorites. More importantly, they are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. And they are good. Don't believe me? Try for yourself. Pick up a variety pack at eatpowerbites.com. www.eatpowerbites.com. 
and use the promo code HERTS15. That's H-E-A-R-S-T-15. Oh, I almost forgot to mention, it's black owned. More of a reason to go to www.eatpowerbites.com eatpowerbites.com and order your variety pack enjoy back to the bros bookshelf no disrespect no disrespect to the author this was one Uh-oh. essay that I wanted to get over like the fastest I don't know mm. what it was about the second did you that essay. read this it, it, one or did you listen to this one I listened to it and I'm okay. reading it. I started and, reading it And the it today. only reason I say I that is because um, and it just killed me. Yeah. Lenny and I decided that reading it was a little bit better than listening to it. It was that. hard. It was actually hard that. for me to listen to the last five. I, I preferred Certainly. it just. Yeah. The last five just. They were not doing it for me listening. But once I looked at it on the page, I felt a little bit different. And so this one is Black Surrender Within the Ivory Tower by Jessica J. Williams. And I think I think if this is the one, it did kind of resonate a little bit. The premise, the premise of imposter theory, the, uh, the imposter syndrome. The premise of this this writer um, freeing herself with words, I mean, that part was good. And I think you're right. Like reading it probably would have made my mind engage in the in the dialogue without the noise from the last conversation. Because it does right. sound like a long, drawn-out conversation. I'm queer, and people been messing with me, and I've been living inside myself, right. and I just okay, want to no, come out. Don't, don't mock the just, trauma. Don't mock the trauma. Well, that's what we do. It's just piled on at that point. (laughs) (laughs) It's just piled on at that point. So, no, this is not the one that I was thinking about. But um, to your point, I feel, which is rare, but I agree with you, Harvey, because this Give me that applause, Lenny. Give me that applause. Give me that applause. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah. <laughs> if I knew her personally, I probably wouldn't be saying this, but I don't. It did. It sounded a lot like whining and complaining. Oh, my gosh. It was so, so much, much whining so that her boss told her you need to just toughen up. I mean, come on. And quit. <laughs> you know and, what? Or, or quit. At first, she started giving her students and encouraging her students to take mental health days. Yes. So you not can't do only I can't take it, but y'all can't take it either. So we all about to get paid without working because we just going to say, hey, you know what? I'm not feeling it right now. Um, I'm going to take a mental health day off and you could be like, you know what? I don't want to turn this paper in. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm going to take a day off. The world don't work like that. The world Not don't for you. work like that. You know what? Here's Not the thing. I, I I think I, I was the most empathetic for, for this, this essay. I, and maybe it's because, you know, I'm, I'm very PC, you know, I try to watch my mouth on the air and stuff like that. And, you know, but in the time of me too, it's like, I was empathetic. I feel her. Right. So I, I have the privilege of never being sexually assaulted. So I can understand 
or, or you know, be empathetic to someone that says, listen, this happened to me. And, and this is what I was experiencing. I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't catch it, but I thought a woman did it. For some reason, I'm thinking like a woman. Well, well, she, did, well, she didn't say. She what? didn't say. I don't, yeah. she, she, she I don't didn't think say. she said. She didn't. She didn't identify not, it's the classic case of I got woman. assaulted by a man. Now I'm queer kind of thing. And I don't want to do that. But that seems to be a pattern. Well, she, well, you know these. what? That, that's exactly. speculation. We can't get into that. That's speculation. What I, I do know. It. I get it. What I do know is I, I, I felt for her. And so I, I too thought the essay was drawn out, right? I said, okay. But I, I think I applied a certain stillness to it because of the content, right? I said, okay, you know what? This is this is coming from a victim. So let me hear what she has to say. You know what I'm saying? Whereas, you know, as far as LGBT politics are concerned, you know, I, I lived that. So, you know, there's times where you listen and then there's times where you speak. And so this was a listening thing for me because again, I've never been sexually assaulted. So I don't, I don't know the trauma with that. So, I, you know, I, I said, okay, let me, let me, let me listen to her. And, you know, she was in her, her doctorate program. And, I, well, well, look, I, I think the thing is we all have to, we're, we're entitled to our feelings, right? We didn't like the essay that much. Uh, it was long, it was drawn out, you know, uh, and so we can respect that, right? Being empathetic doesn't mean that we also have to, you know, like like it, right? Right. Like I said, I, I, I kind of approached it objectively because I said, okay, let me hit what your sister was going through. And um, whatever happened, she was she was assaulted. She was assaulted during a critical moment in her life. She was getting her, her doctorate, you know, so now she has and to leadership. deal with this trauma of being assaulted and 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 being in school and stuff so there was a place of like wow like that's hard because now you have to there's a trauma I, there's a quote that i like they say someone that drowns in seven feet of water is just as dead as someone that drowns in 20 feet of water right so you can't compare trauma and say oh this one was worse than that one this one was less severe this sister was traumatized, right? Yes, but I don't think that's the issue. I, it's not her trauma that I have the problem with. It, it's mm -hmm. more the handling of the trauma. And the tone of all the other essays has kind of been more of a resilience and a fight and how do we get out right. of this and where do I find my place? And this one was more of a, hmm, I find myself in this spot. My therapist said, okay, you know, you're right where you're supposed to be. So this is where I'm going to be. And not only am I going to be here, but let me show other people how to be here too. I think here in the what second is going place. on here is that when you're listening to the audible and she's reading it she's very monotone she reads very slow <laughs> yes, it's hard yes. to keep up with her and i think the performance i think we're judging the performance versus the content so i had to put the audible down and pick up the book once i picked up the book it was a better story and i was able to follow it for the listeners this is a story about a woman that experienced a sexual assault during grad school that mm -hmm. brought on PTSD. And she talks about surrendering and surrendering to the things that was holding her back, such as insecurities from being an educated black woman, 
being able mm -hmm. to deliver this essay in particular, because she talks about that when the essay first opens up, is this book worthy of publishing, being able to publicly blog daily about her sexual assault. She mentions refining the idea of strength and being able to redefine a lot of things. And I thought about it. Have you ever had something to happen in your life that derailed your plans to which you had to call an audible on your life? Because basically that's what happened. She was heading in one direction. She experienced sexual, a sexual assault, which brought on a trauma. And now she's in flux right now. Like what, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to deal with that. How do I redefine myself? So she talks right. about, you know what? I'm just going to surrender. And whatever happens, happens. She had a conversation with her uncle. Her uncle dropped some jewels on her. And she was like, I was adamant even before I believed it that I had right. nothing to be ashamed of because I did nothing to deserve what happened to me. Further, I was not responsible for other people's beliefs about me. Not only, you know, I don't want to go on. Not only did and, she and, experience and, and, sexual yeah, trauma. Yeah, absolutely right about but that. She had and, a low and I, I was trying to figure out how to say that in my head. These are issues that I think were amplified by the sexual assault, right? Because, like you said, you know, we, we saw the insecurity about the essay, we saw the insecurity about being black in a white space. And, you know, so. I think that insecurity was already there and it may have been amplified by the sexual assault. There was a point where she talks about losing her femininity, right? Stopping the makeup, you know, uh, uh, stopping her, her interest in fashion and trying to defeminize herself now because of the assault. But, you know, and I'm listening and I'm going, okay, you know, she's talking about white spaces. And I think that black professionals, I think this is something that we experience, you know, on a daily, uh, you know, particularly in, in certain fields, education, medicine, you know, so it, it wasn't foreign to me what she was saying. Uh, but I, I, you know, I kept thinking, okay, well, she, she's insecure. She's doubting herself. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to get the theme and I'm saying, okay, well, it's the theme anxiety. And, you know, the, she's trying to silence the anxiety. Then the, the, the therapist told her to listen to it and, you know, stop talking over it, which is great advice. Um, and so, you know, I, I tried to, after listening, I said, okay, well, what exactly is the theme here, right? It's, you know, yeah, yeah. It was hard to try to figure out what was the theme. Yes. Because it was, it was, yes. it, it was layered with a lot of other stuff. When she said, sometimes I had to fight to see myself through uncolonized eyes I have to assure myself that I'm not broken or discounted because of what happened to me or because yes. others lack metrics to appraise my value so not only was she dealing with that she didn't think she was cute and she didn't she didn't like what she saw in the mirror but then she tried to mm. put it off on other people oh, wow. not valuing her you didn't like what you saw, you know, and 
you didn't like what you saw. You thought that you was going to layer it by getting all this education and all these things. And uh-huh. that one sexual assault sent you to a tailspin. Now you all over the place. So listening to the, um, listening to her talk mm. and she sounds like, feel sorry for me. Oh, I'm the victim. So it's hard to listen because you hear all these other triumphant stories. And then you hear this one story in the tone. And when, when she was reading it, like feel sorry for me. So I think that was the disconnect. So that's why it's sometimes advantageous just to pick up the book. Read it so for when yourself, you read it from your, it own, your words own words and, and, and so got you it, can really what get would the you content. classify the theme as, right? Because, you know, every good story has its, you know, its beginning, its climax, and then its end, right? So, and and hopefully, if it's well written in the end, you walk away with, with uh, uh, a lesson, like, you know what I mean? So you read it and you were able to okay, kind can, of, you know, digest the words and, and come to your own conclusion. What would you say... The, the lesson was in, in, in this writing. When her uncle told her, God sent you on an assignment here to be you. Don't let anybody else give you another assignment. So the thing was, no matter what happens to you, the only way that you're going to get through it is to surrender to it Say, hey, this happened to me. Don't let it define okay. you. You redefine yourself. Because otherwise, it would tell you where to go. You got to tell it where you want to go after that. But you just have to accept and surrender that you're not going on the path that you was originally going on. So accept your new faith and take charge. Lennon, I thought I thought you did a great job of um, speaking to the difference between reading and listening to this essay, um, because in all seriousness, I, I I love Dwayne's point as well around listening to a victim. I didn't want to hear that shit no more though. I, I was just tired of it, just flat out. It was too long, and that and, and that's and that's that's not. The most intellectual critique. That's just how you know I what? felt. You I, didn't I, wanna, I, I was tired right of this now. shit. So yeah, you are canceled. You are canceled. I'm about to go on my Twitter right now. He canceled. He right canceled. Now. He canceled me. You are canceled. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. And, and, and you know what? You know what's so? You know what's so sad about it is because I was listening to it and I'm thinking Jessica and Kiese need to go hang out because these two. They they get it right. They they like to talk. They like to write. They're nerdy as hell. They're very articulate, and they like this space of you know writing about the oppressor. Writing up, yeah. They love. They can do. They they masters at it, and and that's a gift. It, it truly is a gift. And I don't want to not. I don't want to be canceled, Dwayne. I don't. I don't care about being canceled. No, I don't no. Want to be you know what? Like I said, I feel you. Misunderstood. I feel you. Um, and and like <laughs> I said, I, I struggled with the resolution here, right? Because I wanted that happy ending. I want or, or something that kind of led me to, you know, I'm I'm better now, or I'm I'm going to be better. And obviously, I I didn't get that. Uh, and I and you know, like we said, I think there was definitely already insecurities there. 
Um, and so I was trying to make that connection. Okay, well, like I, like I said earlier, did the sexual assault amplify that insecurity, right? Because she's saying she's having problems read, uh, writing and, and so forth. So uh, just on a personal note, I, I wish the author healing and I wish her the best, obviously, because, uh, you know, I don't know where she's at in her journey uh, right now. I mean, I know she said she got fired from one job and I don't know if she has another one now, you know, or at the time of the writing. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I think her story will help somebody. And for that, you know, I, I you know, I, I give her. One, one of the things that, that I want to mention earlier, we got on the word quit. And to her credit, we can quit. We don't have to keep doing shit just to make it. We don't have to prove a point. And sometimes when a person is telling you that you can quit, that's like that's that's freedom. And we don't hear it. We're so used to enduring and so used to struggle. You know, I remember being in grad school and it was a young lady. You know, in grad school, you in a, at a research institution, you go to study with a professor and the professor that she went to study with left. And the white folks is like, yo, you need to leave. The person who you came to study with left. And that was very difficult for that young lady to process that what they were saying was not a reflection of her and her ability. But the reality was the scholar who you came to study with is no longer here. So you need to go. And, and her trying to find acceptance with a new scholar and all that, it was just more traumatizing than, you know, perhaps had she just left. But coming from that tradition of I can't quit, you know, my people already don't support me because I'm in school. They think I'm bullshitting because I'm, I'm still in school and they all work at Walmart and they, you know, they looking at me funny and like all these other layers of insecurity um, can keep a person from, from striving, man. So I, I, I don't want to, you know, my, my fatigue around this, these essays, um, I don't want that to be well, the, the takeaway from, well, from, what, what, from the what's your takeaway then? If, if you don't want that I'll to be, be a takeaway, what, what do you want to be a takeaway? No, it's, 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 it's the same thing that Lenny said. Like I said, I saw the, I saw the conversation around imposter syndrome and that resonated well with me a, a lot. You know what I'm saying? Cause I, I, her experience outside of the assault, I could identify with a lot because that's that's what the scholars go through, you know. Um, but, yeah, you got to let it go, man. You got to let it go. And and surrendering to it, for me, is going to look different than what it looked like for her, you know, because we all have a different anxiety that we have to listen to, so she speaks. So, no, I, I, I got the takeaway. I was just tired of it, man. It's a lot of essays, and it's just, you know, Again, reading it versus listening would give a different feel. But these these essays, they are going somewhere. It just don't feel like we're going to get there anytime soon, which is good because, you know, our, our story is like that. So it's all good. Steps to being whole on your own terms. Ico D. Betha. Now, this is a story about a woman growing up being the only and experiencing a system of racism early. And it affected her to the point where she became perpetually angered on the edge about racism and microaggressions. Speak on that, Teresa. So this is the essay that I was talking about 
before when I said oh, it resonated with me and something that I thought. And then I was like, oop, uh-uh, no, not that one. It's this one. So a lot of these essays, and I know I've said this in every recording that we've done, it makes me think about how everyone is different. And you respond to things in different ways because this story is a lot my story. I was bussed off to school. Um, I went to predominantly white schools my entire life until I went to an HBCU. So that was actually my catalyst to go to an HBCU. So reading this, I looked at a lot of things that she said and I didn't respond the way that she did. But I agree with what she called the acceptable ways to respond. And she said that you fall into four familiar patterns. So I looked at the assimilating and striving for acceptance. And I thought to myself, hmm, my husband is going to look at this and say, look at that. Academic credentials. Keep going. What's my name? Oh, Miss Know It All, Teresa. Mm-mm. I said, what's what she mean, dog? Oh, what's her name? Thank you, sir. Yeah. Okay. Jeez, you uh, know what? Uh, keep going. What's my name, son? Special. Okay. <laughs> Professional titles, marital status, beauty. Now, th- this is not so. Lenny, don't have fun with this. Beauty that mimics white features, money, and material items. Pedigree. So when you think about a lot of things that are happening, you don't necessarily do a lot of things on purpose, but you find yourself saying, I'm just as good as you. There is absolutely no reason for you to feel that I don't belong here. Because they set the standard and you want to be accepted by them. A system of white supremacy. Man, not this, necessarily this. wanting to be accepted, because that's not what I said. If you heard you said, what I I'm said. just as good as them. Right. But that doesn't them? mean you have to accept me. That means that I'm here and you have to reckon with me. You can say whatever you want to say and you can have whatever ideal you have in your head about me. But I am who I am. And then it talks about fighting fire with fire. You always have that person. I've had friends who always wanted to want. They want to fight. They're like, okay, I'm going to meet you at the pass. You're not going to come for me because I'm coming first. Then you have the hiding under the radar. I've all I've had those friends, too. When we were in those situations, you just don't want to be noticed. So there are so many different things. I'm OJ. No. You not. That's not a good one. No, not at all. No. That's a good one. So I, I, I see. I don't. I, I don't it. feel you recognizing. There's. There's mm-hmm. nothing. You don't no. feel any of this. Okay. So, you know, as we as we were going through this, and then of course the last is to actually live wholeheartedly recognizing white supremacy and deliberately making decisions that honor our values while leaning in to connection, compassion, and courage. And of course, that's when you are mature enough to take all of that information and be your whole self. 
So this, I, it was a lot in the essay that was not, you know, me, but I could, I could see a lot of this. So it was, I felt like it was a, it was a good essay for someone who was telling their experience and their truth. This essay, have you ever been at work or been around that cool white person that you thought that y'all had a connection with? And then when it, when a, when a situation comes up, like Trayvon Martin or when Obama was running for president and they was calling him monkey or when black lives matter movement came, they didn't understand. And you would think because you're my friend that you can connect. Right. So this essay, I like how she talks about how she only lets white people in her close circle if they possess a learner mindset, they acknowledge their privilege and bravery to be vocal in encountering inequality. And she said, these are the only white people that I hang around. So if we had a table and somebody says something to me that's racist or microaggressive, I don't have to be the one to defend that. You would, A, recognize because you learn, B, acknowledge that that's only directed towards my way because of your white privilege, and then C, champion for me. Be my ride or die. Them the kind of white people I need to come around me. And if you're not that kind and you don't check all those three boxes, then we really can't rock out. And that should be everybody's white test. If you have a white friend, I should rest assured that your white friend already understands. White people don't understand that. Now you got me defending these... Dog, this is the wildest shit. Like, so the first part of this essay, I thought Sister was on it because she's talking about the educational experience in the educational system and how schools can fuck you up. The schools that we supposed to go to, they're supposed to be giving us the higher education, the Excel classes, the academically gifted, exposing us to both. These are the places where you're getting the most fucked up at. So by the time she gets to the end with her white friend critique, I don't got no white friends. I don't know what the fuck she talking about all over again. And that be the weird part about these essays. It's like, damn, like who would have ever thought you can have a white friend gauge. I got black friends that I question their blackness every day. So what are we talking about? What is what is this? What is this? You know, I I, I think I'm a little uh, inept to have this conversation. You know, I'm still uh, breaking into the workforce, right, and and still having my experience with, you know, white folks, black folks. You know, black folks that's ahead of me. But I will say, I thought it was interesting. She said she had an, an Asian mom. Japanese. Japanese yeah, yeah, Japanese. Did, she had a Japanese mom. And so, obviously, you know, there was, she has a multicultural identity, right? So maybe Japanese and black. I'm assuming maybe. Again, dog, mm. that, that black experience, dog, is, 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 is rich. It's rich. But you know, the thing about blackness, though, and, and the thing about multicultural people or biracial people is that do they claim their blackness when it's advantageous for them? Like, you know what I'm saying? 
Like, you about to get canceled. Like, I'm black. <laughs> like, am I black 24 7, 365? Or am canceled. I black during this? I think, no, you know, I think that's America real. You know what I'm saying? Let you know at an early age what your identity <laughs> is. Well, you are what you look like. Exactly. Right. And so Still if you think about like white passing people, right? If okay. you think about people that, that pass as white, you know? It, but that's again that's my question that's subjective obviously I don't, you know I don't know if anybody here is half white half black you know I don't want I don't want to go there but I, as far as this essay was concerned I, that's a I, great I, question. I think that, that that that's a great question if you yeah. have a choice to be black or white if you could pass that's a great course do you lean into your blackness well we had another exactly we did another book so, where there was twins one lean into their blackness and one said, get away from me. Yeah, right. I, and so obviously the sister didn't do that. Right. And and I think Teresa has a point, you know, you, you, you are what you look like. And so Japanese and, and black, and you know, I did some research on the book. And if you go to the book's website, they have pictures of like each, each author. And so I didn't, I forgot what she looks like. So I, I should check it again. But, um, but yeah, you know, that's interesting. Again, you know, I, I have the least experience with working with corporate America, you know, with working with white folks and, you know, diversity and, and equity. I would think that where I'm at now in my career, um, that I've been shown fairness um, and impartiality. But, you know, I, I thought it was interesting to hear this sister's point and to hear all of you guys' points and, and learn from you guys and, and y'all experience. So I, I think that I kind of applied like her pillars of of identification on a more social level. You know what I'm saying? Where again, you know, I can only speak from my experience. I'm like, okay, well, I did have to fight growing up, right? Because of the whole gay thing. And, you know, I did have to kind of choose, like, okay, am I gonna be this way around these group of people? Am I not? You know, am I, am, you know, so I that's how I applied it to my life, but obviously it wasn't about that. Right. So again, I didn't wanna take it and, and and make it something that it's not but to the same point you know i thought it was a an, an interesting essay and um you I, know what i'm saying shout out to the white folks you know what i'm saying i thought because um, she was know. japanese and black she was gonna look good and i'm looking at her right now and she's attractive now do I have She's I dated attractive. women who look, who look like sexist this? No, no, no. Let me, let me finish, man. I'm just that's some sex. I cannot wait mean? to no, cancel that you. That's, that's I what, cannot wait to cancel you because she was Listen, Japanese and black. You thought she was going to be attractive. I, that's exactly what I said because I know I come Stand from a space. I come from a space where they make some pretty ass babies. What you talking about? Oh. I've never seen a person of that pedigree that was not attractive. And I'm just going to say that because oh, Japanese people, people make pretty and African everything. people okay. are, are, are brilliant folks and they make some pretty ass people. Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods. So, so, so what, what are we talking about here? You're, you're coming, we should go to play are tennis. Are talking about like, come that on, Tiger man. Woods is attractive? Because I would beg Who? to differ. Tiger yes. could get it. Okay, see, <laughs> I didn't say that. So that's what he said. <laughs> no, you said Jack of Woods. <laughs> He's an attractive male, but he said he could get it. That's the difference. Now, now to my point, though, what I'm talking about is my bullshit. The Can bullshit Tiger that I was. Because he has a lot of money or because he's cute? It's it's both. It's both, actually. Must be you know the what money. I'm saying now. Yeah, because what I'm saying. So what? Listen, <laughs> I think, look. You. 
Let me tell you something. I like brothers that look black. I like broad noses. I like big lips, big gums. Like big I love thumbs. Afrocentric, all of it. You know, you know that brother. I don't know if you guys ever seen Lovecraft Country. Yeah, but yeah. the brother that played the lead. Yes. Oh, anyway. We're not this talking about what he said sometimes. This is the thing he said on my skin right here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's okay. I know, but I'm just saying, if we was talking about Tiger being that. attractive, he, he said he didn't want to make it something else. Yeah, That's not what he said. <laughs> but this essay is actually it's about good, a lot of things. It's about <laughs> a lot of things. And it's actually entitled Steps to Being Whole on Your terms the steps are dope but i'm just saying back to my bullshit the sister is attractive that's fair and the picture i'm looking at and you know again i like have you steps. seen imani perry that's not her what name we're doing. sound like her name sound like she cute look now they, now they judging everybody i'm, I'm sorry y'all that i told nice you y'all can look at the pictures into the next essay <laughs> let me see let me see Imani Perry. I'm sorry, y'all, that I, I mentioned looking at the pictures. Imani I, I ain't Perry, mean to name, take it. The there. name sound like she cute. Let me see. Like she, I'm, you know what? She's a she's a pretty sister here, Imani Perry. You know, what I'm saying she got the Whitney Houston wig on, but eh, she's pretty. Imani Perry, to you, vulnerable mother. This is a dope essay. Yes, this essay about is is about a mother. Spelling out the stressors of how a mother's misstep is penalized higher because mothers cannot reveal their anguish or expose their human error out of fear of being judged, evaluated, and punished. And on the flip side, the child grows up seeing their mother guarded, teaching is teaching their child not to be open. And asking for help. So we mentioned how attracted she is, but she is a single mother of a son. I think she has a book where she writes a letter to her son. So I thought this essay was interesting because Teresa, you could probably speak more to this essay because you are a mother. You know, I, I, I'm trying because right now, though, all I can hear is a bunch of testosterone. And I've been thinking about all of these essays, and they've pretty much all been written by women or people. Everyone except all the ones except for Mark Lamont Hill. I'm, is that correct? Every, no, two. Like there have been two. Four. It's five, it's five men. men. Yeah. It's been two though that were cisgender males, right? The first no. one was cisgender. And KSA, Marlon Monhill, um, okay, and, um Jen Wright. I don't know. It's and Jen Wright. So Jen Wright, oh, four. Yeah. Four. Okay. Four. Four. Yeah. So it's Jason, Jason Reynolds. It's getting I don't know. I think that that's why I'm starting to feel my own anxiety about all of this because the conversations have been, I don't know. Cause I, the last one, I just feel like the last one was not, it wasn't given enough authenticity. I don't know, but on to the next, here we are with something about 
motherhood. <laughs> I don't even really know where to begin other than the fact that, you know, these are all a lot of female experiences. So my biggest takeaway was that she used June Jordan a lot. And she said that she used it to kind of, I guess, separate herself a little bit because obviously she was still dealing with a lot of the pain that it was causing her to deal with some of this. But um, who is June Jordan? Because I was lost with that. Well, she's who she opened up with. So she is obviously a writer. So she wrote the opening paragraph. And she said somewhere in this essay that she opened with her kind of to set a little bit of distance for her. And it is talking a lot about this vulnerability again, um, which is just, I don't know, it's just a little bit hard for me to deal with, which goes back to the other essay when she's talking about a lot of her vulnerability. And you're right, uh, Black people and Black women of course, generally have learned to deal with pain and to just keep it moving. So we do endure a lot of hardship. We don't know how to say no. Um, We just say, hey, suck it up, keep it moving. So some of this is a little bit interesting for me. It talks a lot about sensitivity, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of emotional attacks and injury. So I can't. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I, 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 let me chime in. Uh, uh, June Jordan, she's a, she's a poet. And so she was uh, born in Harlem looking at her profile. Now uh, she was born in Harlem. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily say Harlem Renaissance poet, but, um, she's a poet. Uh, it's feminist, uh, LGBT activist. I'm assuming maybe she was gay. Uh, but back to, uh, this essay here. Um, you know, I'm not a mother, obviously. I, I think though, that it was, she was coming from a place of like how to heal for, for mothers and, and this, this, a, a place of softness, right? You know, sometimes I think, you know, black women have to be extra hard. And um, sometimes that, that translates in, in how, you know, they, they raise their kids or, or their love and affection that they show their kids. Now, I'm spitballing here because, again, I don't, you know, I don't want to say nothing appropriate because again i'm not a mom i have a great relationship a fabulous relationship with my mom so you know i was trying to you know identify with it like okay you know if if my mom was listening to this how would she feel you know she said a point about like if you see your mother or if you uh, a mother yelling at her child is she yelling at the child because of her own failures is she you know something amongst those lines getting her convulsing with self-loathing and having to stand before her child inadequate. Yes. So I thought that, yeah, I thought that line was interesting because, you know, I, I, again, I have a great relationship with my mom, but I I did see my mom struggle. Right. And so this vulnerability that she's talking about, I saw that with my mom growing up, you know, and so I'm so motivated to succeed in part because of that. Right. And so my mom and I, you know, we're well off now, but I just, it's, it's my life mission of buying my mom a house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that, that, that trauma of, of seeing my mom vulnerable and, and seeing us without money or, or fooled some nights, is definitely something that 
I experienced. Now I'm wondering if this sister here is saying, you know, just you know, trying to tell black women, you know, take take it easy. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be soft, right? And and you know, maybe as a single mother, they can't do that. You know, I, I, again, I think that what she's you know, saying is mm-hmm. we have all these things that we have to carry and we have to keep concealed because of the fear of being judged. But when we hold it in, when our children act out, we project on our children and we overly prosecute our children without Uh, knowing that we overly prosecute our children because we're holding on a lot of pain and there's a lot of stressors. She mm -hmm. says, even seas need water and air that can be reached. The sharp worded assessment is written again and again. Black women have too much cancer, heart disease, diabetes. Black women have strokes, chlamydia, syphilis, HIV, Mm -hmm. hypertension. Mm -hmm. They give birth to babies who weigh too little and die too frequently more than anyone else. The data say we die more than any other woman from the worst of these. The data say and our children carry too much flesh and too much fat. I hate these statistics. I hate that they are real evidence. But what I hate even more is that they are so often presented without context. And by context, I mean the culture and values that shapes our lives. They are, in fact, secondary details to a primary truth about the world and the way it treats us. I would like another set of facts. I would like a visual constellation of thousands of stressors electrifying our brain each day. I would like to map out the mundane experience of defeat in love, in work, in housing, in caretaking. I would like a list of obstacles before us. I would like someone to draw us standing before the mountains, barefoot, slew-footed, steep, deprived, expected to climb. I want a more honest rendering. I want gentle eyes. That is a first step. So when she said that, that resonated with me. Everybody always have these studies on black women. But what they failed to mention, a system of oppression that causes these things in us. And she said, I just wish they just had stressors electrifying our brains each day so you can actually see what we're going through because we're screaming at the top of the mountains. We're dealing with this. We're dealing with this. And nobody's listening. But, you know, I I think to that point, I think with with that little excerpt that you read as well, I think that was a call for black women to uh, take better care of their health as well. Right. I I think that was more of a, a call for action, a call for responsibility. And, I, you know, if I had to sum it up again, you know, about finding themes and kind of, I would say, look, she's she's telling, you know, black women, it's it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to to feel stripped and and not to project that on your kids. And I think you hit a point when you said, you know, and, and you said we, right? And so you obviously you're talking fathers, mothers, parents, general. You kind of open up the scope there, uh, which I respect. That that projection on our kids, that projection to to be this, and and sometimes we. I, I guess she was telling parents, right, to to do a self-reflection and find out what's really going on. You can't love nobody else until you learn how to love yourself. 
right? You can't heal anybody until you heal yourself first, right? And so as, as parents, you, you know, you're building children, you know, you're, you're pouring into them, but what are you pouring into them? Are you pouring into them with your own hurt and, and insecurities and projections? Or are you pouring love into them? And so I think that was a call to really recognize that. Um, and so, and I respect that essay for that. I think the context when she's talking about, you know, we live in this, we can't be our full human self. You know, we can't, we can't show a range of emotions. We can't laugh. We can't cry. We can't smile, you know? And so she's talking about, you know, raising kids and letting them be fully human can be scary, but it's necessary. Letting ourselves be fully human feels like it's against the rules. I kindly say in response, fuck the rules, be free. That's why I like cussing, you know, because it's fun. It helps me be free. And that's what she, you know. Now, I think when 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 I was first checking out this essay, I was thinking about some of the interactions I had with kids in the streets that don't like their mamas. You know, their mamas do dope and shit. And they don't understand or or or. From my perspective, when I would talk about the appreciation and love for one's mom, they they didn't have those same feelings, right? Because their mothers were were experiencing their own levels of trauma that they couldn't be good mothers, you know? And I'm wondering where does this connect to those mothers, you know? Because it's easy to identify the mother that's in the struggle that's doing it. But these women out here who substance abuse, you know, selling their body, whatever they're doing because they have just you know, succumb to the traumas of their lives? How do we, how, do, how, do, how does this essay reach them so they could be free? And what does freedom look like across our, our spectrum of people? I thought, it was, I thought it was a great play of words, the poetry that was interwoven within the essay. It was a cool essay. To your point, though, about the, the kids and the disconnect with, with the mothers, I don't think this essay is for them. Yeah, it's not. I think not. she's coming from, yeah. I think she's come, you know, she's speaking to parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What you're I, I meant that parent. Or, I meant that parent. Not mm-hmm. not the kid, that parent. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, right. But you know, still to that point, I think that that's just a, an entirely different essay. And that, that starts with the child itself, right? Because that starts with identifying how that child saw his mom or his or her mom, their mom, whatever. So I you know, I think it's it's not for children at all you know it's not for me you know or or, or young people at all and other Uh, than speaking of her experience i was trying to figure out where to put this because as leonard just read you know it talks about wanting people to know the other side of the statistic of why and for me it's almost like does the why matter as much as the solution is, you know, knowing that this is causing a pain, knowing that this is hurting and I am hurting and it's, I can't be as good of a mother as I want to be because of these things and the hypertension and, you know, we live lives and, you know, no one is even mentioning the fact that as a mother, you're doing too much. As a black mother, you're doing way more than too much because in my house, my name is called constantly. You know, there is no time for you to turn your brain off. It's mom 
everybody wants mom. Everybody wants mom's time. So there is not a lot of time for mom to heal. And people say all the time, you got to do self-care. Let's do self-care Sundays. Well, self-care Sunday doesn't exist when you are thought to be a good mom. For me, the guilt of self-care Sunday is just as overwhelming as the hypertension I'm going to get from doing too much work. So Mm. we have to learn how to get past that and to be more helpful. And I think that as I was thinking about all of the males and the males talking about this situation, it seems to be, you know, kind of unrelatable on that side of the coin. Wow. My mother passed away right before I turned 30 years old. And for years, I blamed my dad for not being present for my mother's passing so early. I've always said to myself, if my dad had been more active and more present, then my mother wouldn't have been so stressed out. She wouldn't have to have eaten on a go. She wouldn't have to have worked so much, which in turn caused her health to fail real early. My mother died from diabetes and lung disease. I used to always think that my mother just had a poor diet because she was always on the go. She was always doing stuff for me, my sister, working, providing, working late night jobs, early morning jobs, home health care for the school system. And I just always felt like if she had a little help, then she could have did those things like self-care. She could have did those things like stop, go to the doctor, take care of health. You know, I used to struggle. My dad is living his best life right now, his best life. And my mother is in the grave. I can never, my mother never seen my children. My mother didn't attend my wedding. So what my wife said, the piggyback on it, Uh, Being a black mother and a single black mother, it's a lot of stress. And I think as black men and women too, I think women need to do a better job who they lay down with and procreate with. Men need to do a better job who we lay down with and who we procreate with. And when we do make a child, when you do take on a woman as a wife and y'all do have children, just remember the relationship is bigger than you and your feelings. Is bigger than you and your children. It's about the whole thing. You want to relieve the stress of your your woman. You want to be a good father for your children so they can have a mother. And then in turn, it's advantageous for you. So I think to I think family, and I think that this essay, one of the remedies to this essay is family. It's helping the mom. And I just wanted to leave on that. Well, I am glad that you said that and that you brought that up. But I do want to make sure that you understand that you are still a man. And even in that. I do understand that. (laughs) We all do. I knew it was Um, coming. Even your statement, you know, because it isn't just that, (laughs) you know, black women and I, maybe all women, but from a black woman's perspective, 
y'all don't help as much as you think you do. That's and the whole point. That's the whole point, Lenny. Impossible. That's why what you said was some bullshit. What Lenny said? Yes. Not his feeling, but to, the idea. Right. But because it doesn't make a difference. Because you just said the can, same thing. But it can be. It can be more. And that's a conversation that is had often. You can do more. But it just, the way that things nope. have been set up historically, it just doesn't. And until we remedy what has happened historically, we'll continue to do the same things. And Black mothers will continue to put off their doctor's appointments and their dentist appointments and their self-care Sundays for their husbands and for their children until things can be rectified in another way. But at this juncture, we are where we are and we just have to work towards a goal of being able to be whole at another time. That's some bullshit. <laughs> What'd you say, Harvey? That's some BS. <laughs> it is, dog. I mean, that, that's, that's why I'm tired of this, this, this conversation. The way is, you know, without... I, I really wish this book had sections where the themes were around something else. Like we understand the book is about trauma and healing and shame. We get that part, but I would have loved some compartmentalized arrangements of narrative so we could focus on the other layer because it just, just the back and forth of who got the most worst story is just. Uh, when you say the other layer, what do you mean? What's the other layer so, you referred to, Harvey? If we can, if we can establish the baseline, and this is what we don't do well: is establishing the baseline of the critique around white supremacy. We want to skirt that all the time, so we never get to the good, solid foundation. Does, the, does it matter so much, even if, even if it is the root cause? But I do subscribe to the fact that some things are just the human condition. But if we were to say that the root cause is white supremacy, does it change the solution? It could. It could. So, you know... You know what? Really, really quickly, though, we have to be sure that it's white supremacy. We have to be sure that it's white supremacy, right? Because I think it's a gaslight sometimes to not look internally and to not take responsibility. And so we have to be sure that when we're saying something or, or you know, when we're making a point or when we're experiencing this thing, it's because of white supremacy. Now, you, you may have some people that say, but everything is white supremacy and, you know, it's it's fair, but then it's not. Again, it's 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 that's a scapegoat response for me. But I, you know, are, are we sure that this, you know, you know, this thing is tied to white supremacy in itself, right? Because, like I said, we we can break it down and go all the way back to slavery and then this and that and generational traumas. But when do we say, okay, this is a generational trauma and it stops with me? You know what I'm saying? And so. No. I mean, you can try to say a that. a little bit more solution-oriented. The, the, the context that we live on doesn't... I mean, how many black people have ever wanted to be free? 
Like we make it like we just got these ideas in 2021. No, it's been niggas forever who wanted to be free, who were very headstrong about their freedom. And we don't know their names for a reason, you know? And so, you know, that, that, that idea is kind of, you know, to me, it's kind of played because, you know, the understanding of white supremacy doesn't, it's not about blaming white people. It's understanding the structural institutional system that all these essays keep referring to. But it's like when and we call correct. it white supremacy, it's like that we are so mad at being under that even the term white supremacy is a turnoff. You know, we can we we get we get all we can we can say much better structural inequalities and things like that. We can institutionalize injustice and you know you know marginalize. All that. We can use those terminologies and just kind of skirt what we what we're speaking to. You know, and I think that's the part where you know it does it does us an injustice as a people who 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 are supposedly trying to heal. But if, if we just you say, okay, it's white supremacy, and then what do we do? We walk away from but, it because well, no, we no, no, gave no. it that's, a label? That's, that's, no, no, no. That's where I was going with it. So so then, then there's the, the economics, and then there's the, the, the healthcare system. Then there's, you know, warfare. And then there's, you know, labor. Like these other elements of the discussion, we understand the core. Now, what are we talking about? Are we talking about careers? Are we talking about parenting? Are we talking about relationships with parents? You know, that could have been a better subgrouping of these essays so that I wouldn't get the fatigue that I am. Now I'm blaming the authors for how they arranged the shit for me being tired. Yeah. Well, you're the same tired because it's story. heavy. And you're tired because it's the same thing over and over That's and what I'm over. saying. Like, it could have been, right. like, and, focus and on and career development. Focus on parenting. this book... Focus is guiding a conversation about things that are not the greatest things to talk about. So it is heavy. It's almost like therapy. When you're doing therapy with people, they dump on you and now you're holding on to it. So we're holding on to a lot of heavy stuff. And I'm glad we are almost done with it because you're right. (laughs) It was a lot. Which leads us to our final essay. And the wrap up of the book. And I want to say shout this. out for putting this book together. I shout out, shout out, shout out for putting this book together, y'all. And one of the persons that put this book together is famed Tarana Burke and her last essay, Where the Truth Rests. These essays, I just want to reiterate and piggyback on what y'all are saying. It does present trauma, but it's also presenting solutions on how to deal with it. They talk about things like being resilient, surrendering, shame, and how to deal with shame. So there are some things to that we can extrapolate out of this book. Lots of takeaways. If you are dealing with these sort of things. In this final essay, Tarana Burke pins herself a letter as a means to heal old wounds, which she could not muster at the onset of the trauma. She also, throughout the essay, is speaking back to herself and referring to herself as we, her older self coaching her younger self. And it starts off when she was seven years old in the first grade, spending the night at her friend's house and placing her trauma in a little box. And she finds herself always boxing up her trauma as a way of putting it away 
And that's when her sickness started. That's a good coping mechanism. I've used that before. You hear me say all the time, I'll put it in my box. Correct. And a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people do that. I bad did find lady, it. Yeah. You I did find it interesting that her essay was pretty short and concise, that it also didn't contain a lot of personal information. I found that interesting simply because most of the writers of these essays were very open. They talked about very personal things. They talked to us from several perspectives and they were vulnerable and they were also discussing the shame that they felt in a way that was just, I don't know. I can't think of anything else except for it was just, it put them in a, a way that they could have felt even more shame. And then for her essay, it was really light. She did mention some things that I could connect with. She talked about TMJ and mm-hmm. grinding your teeth at night right. and holding on to that, that stress. Those boxes started to have physical, uh, showing themselves physically. Right. Her grinding her teeth, she talked about her never having a cavity, but she grind her teeth so much, she started to have cavities showing up, TMJ, tempered mandibular jaw. That's when the cartilage that's uh, connect, that's right in between your jawbone and your skull wear out because you're clenching your jaw so much. That that, that sounds painful. I wonder, you know what, I, I, I wonder if she, I know she said something about a mouthpiece. You know, to correct that, because I used to grind my teeth. It wasn't related to stress, but um, I think they have mouth guards for that. But that's neither here nor there. Her, her essay, I, I, I felt disconnected from it. And I guess that, that that came with the burden of who she was, right? Because remember, this is a sister, the Me Too sister. And, and I don't feel like she... I, it just felt kind of rushed to me, right? Because we had the story of her as a little girl. The, the neighbor's father said, you know, give him a kiss on the cheek, right? And, you know, they ran to the bathroom. And then it was a thing at the school on, assembly. Pause. pause. Mm-hmm. He did more than that. Let me tell you what he did. Did he? Because, I, okay. But you got to help me. Yeah, because I, I heard point, it. That's though, Lenny, that she wasn't. You had to do research to find that no, out. No, it's in the book. Exactly. It's just how you know, she I, worded it. it. It, it just felt so rushed to me. It was like, okay, then it was the school right, assembly. And, right. you know, her being a sister of me too, I wanted to hear like, he said, okay, what happened? You know, as we were going to bed, our friend's daddy asked us for a good night kiss. We knew him well, but the pee still shot into our bladder, beating hard against our She had to pelvis. use the restroom. Our breathing got uneven and our heart was racing. Instead of running into his open arms, I we, ran to the restroom. So when she said I, the pee shot into, I thought that he molested no. her. She oh. didn't say that. No, the I, I mean, you know, not that I'm laughing at it, but I'm like, she's being poetic. I'm laughing at Lenny, dog. I'm not laughing oh, at the story. I'm laughing at Lenny. That's what I'm saying. And describing <laughs> how he molested her. That's her anxiety. I'm like, wait a minute. Where, where are you going with that? Huh? I was a little bit nervous. I'm like, huh? I'm like, where, you, where you got that from? Yo, so hold on. I thought no. she was traumatized and she put it in a box. 
No. It was anxiety because he asked for some sugar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm saying. That's what oh and, like, and I'm not thing. I'm not things. trying to take away I'm not trying to take away from her trauma. Here's the thing. What is the trauma? She felt, Dwayne, but, okay, what is the trauma? Now. That's what we're okay, saying, wait. Lennon. Okay, As look. Harvey would say look. regular old black shit. Regular old black wait, shit. Bro. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not trying to take away from her trauma. Listen, she felt uncomfortable. That's it. What I'm saying is I, I could say, you know, I'm listening and I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm I'm trying to, again, it was her story and I didn't want to judge her for her story, right. but I just, I didn't feel it because again, it felt rushed. It felt like she just she, had anxiety. And as e, the, the whole mean, as story said, was just anxiety. I and I was the like, introduction, I felt like... For her, I mean, number one, she's a co-author of this book or whatever you're going to call her. And second, we know who she is based on her reputation of the Me Too movement. And then to read this, I feel she's very, she's not giving us as much as all these other writers because did. she probably doesn't have anything to give i agree I, i'm not so you know what she shouldn't have wrote the I damn essay then well uh, that's a good point she shouldn't have wrote the essay then I, like it was just oh she she struggles <laughs> with anxiety she she gave us nothing right I, and know, that's how i said i was <laughs> thinking that hers was going <laughs> to be the shit. smoking gun <laughs> and it's nothing <laughs> She gave us nothing. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was just, you know, I have anxiety and I had an anxiety attack in the car. Which makes then- me feel like she's very unauthentic. I don't, I don't know. I just, but Her like daughter I said, has some I don't, hey, I, I was do about not to say that. Dog. To just- say <laughs> that what happened to the door? She doesn't. Because I think maybe. She was talking in code. I kept starting. I started thinking maybe she's talking in code because she's still keeping up the persona of the boxes and the things not coming out of the boxes. Because like you, Lennon, when she was telling me about the neighbor's house and him asking for a kiss, it seemed as if there were other things at play. But she was never open about them. So which is unfair to him. Which is also unfair to the reader because we're expecting something else. Yeah. Again, yeah. she I, opened I it. She won up, she tried to, you know what? I gotta put myself into this. Exactly. And 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 it felt and so expense? out of place, kind of. And and again, you know, people like anxiety is a real thing. So I, you know, I I I said, okay. She has anxiety. She's going to, you know, share her story of overcoming anxiety. You know, she's the, the founder of the Me Too movement. I wanted to to get to know her. And unfortunately, I didn't get to do that. Now, you know, you know, my mom always said you offer a negative critique. You got to offer a positive one. Um, you know, she 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 finished it is, you know. She turned it in on time. She turned it in on time. <laughs> and, and, and that's my positive. That's my positive critique to that sister. But I just, it, it felt unauthentic. It's an on or end. I don't know at this time. I'm tired. Uh, but it, 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 it didn't feel real. 
It didn't feel real. It felt like, let me put something in there. Let me say something. And like I said, it, if there was trauma, she didn't get into it. Right. Because her, this, just the stages of her life just progressed quickly. She was four. She was at the school. She's in the church. Hurricane Katrina happened. She was nervous about the family. Yeah, I, I was, you know, now I, she's pregnant. Explain I, that part to me because I was a little lost about the Hurricane Katrina when she couldn't go. She just had another panic attack. That's it? That's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, panic, that pan, that's the, the whole so thing. So this whole book, there was panic external attack. things, environmental things that brought on to trauma, which in turn caused some type of mental health issues that people are dealing with. Some type of paranoia, anxiety, PTSD, etc. Basically. But this one was like the only one that there wasn't her daughters was like that. Because you remember, I questioned the daughters. The daughter said that she was bipolar and she said she was sexually assaulted. And I said, what type of sexual assault? I mean, no, she didn't say she was sexually assaulted. I mean, assaulted. it doesn't matter what, what type no, of sexual, no, she didn't say that. sexual assault. She said I was assaulted. She didn't say I was sexually assaulted. She said I was assaulted. So I was like, what does that mean? Being that everybody else was giving and pouring out and being vulnerable and open up in this book. So her daughter wasn't all the way vulnerable, but it was a really good essay. Wait, so her daughter wrote in the earlier chapters. Right. Her daughter saying. wrote right. about okay. being a queer, stripping, and the wow, anxiety okay. of telling her, her mother, mother not loving her. <laughs> and thinking her that her mother wouldn't her. accept her. And her mother was like, oh, okay, fine. You know, I don't know what she it is, but I'll learn about it. I still love you. No, that's that's Thank real. You, that's real. You know, actually, I was looking up something the other day. Um, Because, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, he got that daughter that did porn, yes. Montana I was Fishburne. very disappointed. Yes, and, and you know what? And to this day, too. he doesn't speak to her because... He he was upset that she used um his last name, right? And so she 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 did that scene with Brian Pumper, you know what I'm saying? But she wasn't even all that. But she did the that scene Jeep. with Brian Pumper. Hmm? The Bro, that had to be like over 20 years ago. <laughs> you remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> Keep going. No, no, no. I'm just saying because no, we was talking about you know right. Burke's daughter and you know. So I'm saying it just it reminded me of that of that dynamic. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I go in there, you know. But anyway, uh, back, back to this one here. I, I don't know. Burke didn't give me anything in the, in this last... This, But again, I don't want to invalidate anybody's trauma. You know, panic attacks are a very real thing. Um, You know, then she talked about the stroke. Wait a minute, but when we first started, you was excited about it, though. Because you said you identified with it. Cause the because I thought... It started with something that happened to her at her friend's house, and then they brushed it off, and they said, "Oh, she's just crying because she's scared to be away from home." Well, what and did I you the dude identify was a creepy with? Old man. What did you identify with? No, I didn't really identify. What I'm saying is, you, but you said the health issues and the thing about the oh, jaw. Yeah, because I identified. I had that. Stuff. Oh, the I, TMJ. I yeah. Okay. Yeah, stress. Oh, yeah. When I went to the dentist, the dentist said, "Are you a stress mm. person?" I, he said, "Did you hold in your stress? Do mm-hmm. you hold in your stress?" You do not. Okay. All right. So, overall, let's critique this book. And I'm I want to start with you. So far, 
Dwayne, if you had to rate this book one through ten, give us your overall critique and give it a rating. You know, I am I I, I don't know if my analysis would be fair, my rating, because again, I just did the last five. Um now I did I, I will say from an expectation point of view, I did see this book. You know, I'm an avid Audible user. I did see this book in, in my suggested, and listening to it, actually buying it this time, I was disappointed that it wasn't a linear book about self-help and about Black trauma. Right? It, it caught me off guard. The different essays and, and the different things. It felt very abstract to me. Right? Because if I was somebody, about hell, you know, I, I, I still need the help right but if i was somebody that was hurting or or in a place of you know i i i want to understand myself more i want to understand black resilience and strength and how to get that i don't think i would have got it from this book you know what i'm saying i would have bought it and then saw the essays and you know it just it it, it wasn't something that i thought you know from a phd author it was going to you know be a self-help book about black resilience and strength and uh for that i think it's misleading and i am going to give the book a four <laughs> but you know what they say you know my mama always told me if you want to say something negative give something positive uh, it, the positive thing I liked, I I, I liked about it though. I will say, I, I I like that it can be used for somebody that doesn't need that help, right? And it can be used from different vantage points, you know. It and it has a little something for everybody, you know, for the black mom, you know, for the for the trans sister, you know, the trans brother, right? I, I like that it has those different aspects right there, and so. Well, for me, the book was a six and a half, seven. And I give it that because there were some essays that I did like. There were some essays that could have been self-help to someone. Um, they, someone could have read it and said, hey, that's me. And yay, I can do that too. So, yes, I'm going to do a six and a half, seven. Um, I, I, I really wanted to get his book a 10, but I, I just can't. Um, I'm going to tell you why I want to give it a 10 is because I really do. Um, I remember the opening conversation between um, Toronto Burke and, um, um, damn, I can't even call the, um, call Brene him. Brown. Brene Brown. <laughs> And it was like, <clears throat> we're going to write a book for white people to understand the bullshit they put us through. We're going to write a book where we're going to dump off our shit on white people. Like we're, we're not going to take it anymore, and we're going to let our feelings out. So that audience needed to hear that. For us looking... Like there, it was, it was, it was a, it was a joyful ride. But it's like to Teresa's point, like this ain't, it ain't taking us where we want to go, but it's not written for us. So I want to say it's a 10 because I, I really appreciate the vulnerability of the the contributing authors. Um, I by no means think this is the book that's most reflective of the black experience. It's a whole lot of shit that's left out of this book as it relates to our experience. It's a whole lot of repetitive themes that just kind of get dull 
But um, so I guess I'm a I'm a rock with Teresa and say about a six and a half, six something like that. And and to that same point, the, the title does say an anthology. You know what I'm saying, which obviously is a collection of of you know of poems or whatever the case may be. But again, it just it didn't it, like and I you you made a great point. It's, there was so many themes, so many things. It's just I was bumping into everything. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted to not only learn about the black experience, but I wanted to learn how to overcome it. And I wanted yeah, to come this ain't out the book of it for that. wiser. If, and it, 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 right, it wasn't the book If, for if that. I'm teaching the black queer experience, this would be a mandatory read for that, for that class. You know, mm. but is this, because we're going to, we got six books on my syllabus. It's not just going to be one book. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. just, just, just to the I mean, point. I mean, I understand. It, it I just was flavor, thinking about you know? it in and the title, and I, I think yeah. I might have said this already before too. And it, with the title saying "You are your best thing," I don't know if that's what I come away with after reading this. "You right. are your best thing." That's a quote right. by Toni Morrison. Doesn't you know, matter. Still, still, it doesn't. It doesn't vibe. So again, right. so it doesn't matter. I just wanted to put that out there. Okay, but you know. With this being said, and you pick up a book and it says you are your best thing, even after reading Vulnerability, Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience, I feel like I'm going to walk away with a positive affirmation when I'm done with this book. Yeah, And that is not what I feel. Right. It's not for us. It's not our book. It's not our book. I'm not sure. You know, I was going to say, I'm like, yeah, okay. it's just not our yeah. book. You know, it's, our, it's our stories, Especially but it's Jessica's, not our book. Uh, listening to it, driving down a highway, that Jessica essay Correct, put you uh, to sleep. You, 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 you about to wreck your into car. An accident. Yeah. Uh, this is what I want to say about this book. Uh, Harvey, when you said that the opening said, hey, this book is going to be for white people to understand the black experience. As reading when I was reading this book, I was thinking to myself, first of all, white people is not going they're not gonna read this book. And it kind of puts me to that Charlemagne's new show. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Don't say that. Because certain white, white people, people will read anything that a certain person tells them to because they feel that that is the book that's going to give them the answer. So there are certain people in society, like Oprah Winfrey, Brene Brown, you know, she said, read it, so I'm going to read it. And to Harvey's point and to yours, is this what I want them to think the Black experience is? And is it going to be the white person that's going to read it? Is it going to be the learned? the acknowledge and the brave white person? Are they going to check all three of those boxes? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. Because I think we're trying to get them to all three phases, mm-hmm. right? So like what I was saying, Charlemagne has his new show out, The God Honest Truth. And he talk about decrackification. And I wonder, <laughs> <De-crackification>. <laughs> who who is his, tar- his target audience? Is he preaching to the choir or is he really trying to get people to think deep into thought? Because I don't think that's going to get you there. Right. So this book, you know, Teresa, correct me. She said 
yes, white people will read this book. So no, Teresa said white people may may read this book. <laughs> read this okay. book. White people may read this book. Okay. So that's a check. So, you know, that checks off. But as a podcast producer, I was able to get four <laughs> rich podcasts out of this one book. Say it again, though. As a what? As a what? No, as say a it again. podcast producer, <laughs> I was able to get four good, thought-provoking podcasts out of this one book that we talked about a bevy of things and we touched on all type of all type of topics. We talked about uh the healthcare system. We talked about what does manhood mean. We talked we talked about motherhood and our expectations for our mother and our and our mother's expectations for us. We talked about being the only one you know, we brought up some really good dis- uh, discussions about being queer, about being raped, trauma, how to deal with it. So as a podcast producer, this book really, really poured into my audience. It gave us good content. But some of these essays were drawn out. Some of them wasn't good and some were really good. So with all that being said, I'm going to give this book an eight. So, yeah. And with that being said, what was your personal favorite essay starting with Harvey? Um, the Sean Genright essay. That was my okay. personal favorite. Yeah. Okay. You, Teresa? I'm just going to have to go for the relatability. And that is going to be, is it Aiko? Ico. Ico. Okay. The one we just read. I had a few that was competing to be my favorite. Like uh Tanya Denise Fields. I really like that essay. That's the one with the six babies, four baby daddies. Mm-hmm. I did like that essay. And I like how she owned it and she came into herself and she overcame. And it just seems like she was in such of a hold, like, how are you going to get out of this one? And she came out of that. But the one that resonated to me, one of the ones that resonated to me the most was the Mark Lamont Hills. And the thing that I didn't agree with was how he handled Russell Simmons, that situation. But other than that, everything I agree with, and it made me reflect. This book helped me grow a little bit. And uh, I guess it did its job with me. I learned a few things. And I, I feel like I'm a better person. And I didn't waste my time. You have listened to another DeBros Bookshelf. I want to thank Dr. Harvey Hinton, Lennon and Teresa, and Dwayne McBean. I don't know what I'm saying now. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. Good night.